you know, in order to have a victim, you must have a villain. In order to have a villain and a victim, you must have a hero. And it's just this loop of drama that we keep cycling over and over and over. And there's really sort of a psychosis that comes comes upon us. And so, you know, what the, the great gift to me of the upset of today's times is that conversations are being required we can't, you know, Einstein said it best, you cannot solve the problem at the level at which it was created. You have to rise up into a higher state of consciousness and say there's something here that we might not be seeing. Lola Wright, in her own words, is here to be a fierce and loving invitation for the transformation of humanity. Lola works at the Bodhi Spiritual Center in Chicago. She's a leader, coach, a guide, a minister, a speaker, and a teacher. And I got to tell you, this was one of my most favorite podcasts. I found myself uh, jumping out of my chair in terms of how energized I was by this conversation. Uh, Lola is feisty. She's direct. She's compassionate. She has a huge heart for the restoration of all things. And I think you're going to love this conversation. Well, I'm here with Lola Wright. Hi, Lola. Hi. Man, I, we, we met on the Twitters, I think. Yeah. Or, or maybe via somewhere. Um, and then it was like, I discovered what you do and who you are. And then I think what sealed it for me wanting to have you on the podcast was this tweet that I'm going to ask you about later. But you, you, you did this reply that was just so delicious. And so like, I wanted to give you 17 high fives and like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So um, my first question for you is, so when I go on your website, there's a picture of you speaking. And the quote is, I am here to be a fierce and loving invitation for the transformation of humanity. And that was another one, like 17 high fives. Can you riff on that? Can yeah. you say more about that? So there's a really great book called Spiritual Economics that was written by a guy named Eric Butterworth. And he talks about the Latin root of the word ask is in fact demand. Wow. And I love that because we relate to the practice of asking or of requesting in this sort of begging and beseeching way. Yeah. But actually, if you relate to the word ask as a demand, it's a completely different context. Yes. And so as we look at sort of like what's occurring in the world, and started to relate to being a demand on this vast and holy universe and say, no, I am a no to this and I am a demand to justice. I am yes. a demand to freedom. I am a demand to love. And so I think that we're at this really interesting point in time in history where people are being confronted with old paradigms, old ways of being that no longer work because they don't have a transformational quality to them. And we're being invited into how can I elevate the practice of love beyond what we might call like Minnesota nice. <laughs> right? It's like, touche. Right? 
like there's something about like we have sort of an adolescent understanding of love in my opinion and love is actually can be this fierce yes quality and that's what i think that these times are really calling for I could not agree with you more, especially on the love piece. I think love, people have said it before, is the strongest force in the universe. It's the most vulnerable force in the universe. It requires the most of you if you really want to receive it and give mm-hmm. it. There's nothing soft or mild about it, right? Mm. Yep. Um, so yay to anyone. And this is what I just, and I was reading your blogs and stuff, which I'm going to post on the show notes. There's just several blogs that I've read of you that, that are stunning to me. Or as my friend Ferg, my Irish friend Ferg says, stunning, Steve, they're stunning. (laughs) Um, And so, yes. Okay. So the tweet that you sent back to me, which is what uh, moved me to see if you would come on the podcast, which thank you so much for doing it is and I can't remember what I tweeted is something about blah, 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 how we, you know, disagree with one another or, or blah, but you said consciousness is shifting. If we create from the drama triangle of villain, victim and hero, we'll keep creating what we have separation. Mm-hmm. Riff on that, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like our political landscape is such a perfect example of this right now. I've never personally identified with a political party. I'm just, that's not, I mean, I think both parties, both primary parties have had wins and losses. And it's, I don't think we get anywhere by identifying in that way. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and I look at both political parties and I'm like, wow, they're just, they're literally doing the same thing. And you might say like, like, you know, if I, if I qualify myself as more left leaning, I might say, well, you know, the Republicans are really gross about it though. And it's like, so because the Democrats are slicker and more sophisticated, that's more noble. No, No. they're both gross. And so really what's occurring is, you know, in order to have a victim, you must have a villain. In order to have a villain and a victim, you must have a hero. And it's just this loop of drama that we keep cycling over and over and over. And there's really sort of a psychosis that comes comes upon us. And so, you know, what the, the great gift to me of the upset of today's times is that conversations are being required We can't, you know, Einstein said it best. You cannot solve the problem at the level at which it was created. You have to rise up into a higher state of consciousness and say there's something here that we might not be seeing. Perhaps the paradigms that we've been subscribing to that many have suggested haven't been working for quite some time, perhaps we're being so confronted by them and that we actually are being confronted by our discomfort in a way that perhaps might actually change something. Confronted by our discomfort. Yes. Yeah. And so this trope, this old trope of, you know, victim, villain, hero, we see it happening over and over again. So like, you know, I posted something on Facebook literally a few days ago and it was a little controversial Partly because mm-hmm. I like to stir the waters. It's mm-hmm. fun. For me, it's fun. 
But what's not fun is to see the predictable uh, responses and conversations that flow after it, where the game that we seem to be playing is how can I defend my line of thinking? Yeah, because my line of thinking is ultimately completely enlightened and much better than yours. And so I'm going to use my words to prove to you that your words and your way of thinking is wrong. And I'm going to do that by creating a victim, creating a villain and looking for a hero. Right. So how do we uh, raise above that? How do we start to climb out of that trope? So there's a, one of my favorite, you know, contemporary spiritual philosophers is a guy named Eckhart Tolle, and he's oh, written yeah. a books. And one of the things that he says is the greatest, the greatest act of grace on the planet is to accept the unacceptable. And I believe that that is like the way of the master, like yeah. to accept the most unacceptable thing imaginable. You know, um, when I see something, when I perceive, because all the human experience of seeing is is through a lens of perception. Yeah. So when I see or perceive something that is not that I have a trigger or a reaction to, which is distinct, by the way, from having a clear boundary about right. for me. Right. So I notice that I'm triggered and reactive about something, then I am going to stare that thing right in the face and say, oh, baby, work me over because there Mm. is something here for me to learn. Wow. So, you know, that and and that is that is not easy work. That is not light work, you know, and and it's like anybody who's been married has an opportunity to practice that (laughs) dozens of times a day. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, you know, I, what I like, again, the community that I lead is, is tends to be more left leaning, if you will. And for, for any of us to get self-righteous about something is just completely counterproductive. Like how might I look at my least, my least favored political figure and say, how is that one living in me? Yes. How does that one before me that I am so swift to tear down, how does the presence of that live somewhere in me? Because I absolutely know that the world is simply a reflection of the thoughts and beliefs that reside right where I am. So long as war lives on the planet, war must live in In me. me. Because I am not separate and apart from anything. You know, that was the that was the essence of every great awakened master that's ever walked this earth. You know, to move from a dualistic either or framework to a unitive consciousness where there's just one. Yeah. And I know it, I think that you're separate from me, hmm. but you're just a perfect image of me and the reflection of which I'm forever reconciling and always expanding into deeper and deeper experiences of grace, compassion, patience, love, generosity, you know? Preach it, sister. I mean, that is so... Are, are you familiar with spiral dynamics? Yes. Yep. So what you're saying reminds me of that. So it's like, so spiral dynamics is a way of thinking about human consciousness and how it evolves. And, um, you know, so there's different levels and they're, they're associated with colors and I don't want to get into it. I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who are listening right now that might not be familiar mm-hmm. with spiral dynamics, but basically, um, we evolve in, in human consciousness to, but we don't 
we don't um, we don't leave the former consciousness behind. We bring it with us. We transcend and include. But we also have a tendency, right, to look at the consciousness immediately uh, before us with disdain or yes. disgust. I can't believe they still think that. Yes. And then we look to the one that's immediately ahead of us with fear, right? Because they're, you know, they're saying things that break me out of my box. Right. I mean, this is what you're saying yep, essentially, absolutely. correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really like, you know, I, I say this oftentimes, you know, in classes and stuff like that. I really absolutely believe that every human being on the planet, and I mean every human being on the planet, is absolutely doing the very best that they can. If you understood how they were shaped and formed and molded into the human being that you meet today, it would make perfect sense why they have the worldview that they have. Yeah. And if I can get that, I can meet another with a greater sense of curiosity and yeah. wonder. Yeah. And that's the realm where solutions get created. Mm. So that's what I'm interested in. Oh, that's so good, Lola. Uh, honestly, that is so beautiful. And if we do that with others, maybe we can start to do it with ourselves, right? Like maybe we can look inward without yes. the, the paralyzing shame yes. uh, and trying to fix all the things that are broken inside of us and yes. maybe we can just greet them as friends and say yes. there you are there you are yes you know? yeah I'm, i mean i feel like i'm on the planet to be a voice of and for wholeness yeah. the notion that like you you and and you know there are some there there are some that would argue theologically with me on this and it's actually one of my very favorite theological arguments yeah. um but the notion that like your whole you're perfect, you're complete. You've never been hurt, harmed, or hindered. There's, there is an aspect of you that is untouchable. Yeah. And when we organize and orient ourselves around that essence of us versus like this limited earthly realm that we believe is like the realest thing, in existence, yeah. it's like when I orient myself around the notion that I am like an emanation of the infinite, that is a very different cosmology than some limited, broken, wounded human being. And, 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 and to your point, like we create so much from like one's young wounded part yeah. meeting another one's young wounded part and it's like you 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 can want you can want i mean we see it in our own lives of course but the thing that's brilliant about like today's political reality is that it's so heightened yeah. that it's really really obvious now to your point if we think that it's happening out there and not happening over here i yeah. think we miss the mark but we just are like these little kids with wounded parts butting up against each other. And it's like, can we just take a breath for a moment? Yeah. I love that. I love what you're saying. Um, it's so true. It just it, it resonates so deeply um, in my soul. So I want to ask you, um, so, uh, and this is not shifting gears, but it might sound like a gear shift. What, who and what is God for you? Mm. 
Um, so I'm going to start by saying what God is not yeah, for me. This is a little bit easier way to back into that. Um, God is not a man in the sky pulling the puppet strings of my life. And, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic and I remember being a little girl standing in the dead of winter in Chicago, waiting for the school bus to come and like praying, like really begging and begging this authority outside of myself to make the bus come sooner so that I didn't have to stand in the freezing cold. (laughs) Yeah. And as I look back on that, it was a very disempowered relationship. So for me, um, I'll just start by saying God is actually all there is. There's only God. And it is our own um, error, belief, or misperception that leads us to believe that anything else is happening here. Um, The presence of God is the breath of life that moves through me. It's in all things. It's, you know, if you think about it, like we don't, we literally don't say, I'm now going to breathe. Like there is an impulse. There's a divine impulse that's moving each of us. And I, my practice is to yield to that over and over and over again. And to the extent that I know that the power and presence of God is right where I am, that it's moving and breathing and having its way in, through, and as me, that can't only be true for me. So if that's true for me, then that absolutely must be true of and for you. And if I know that, then the presence of God is meeting the presence of God. And I think where we get sort of twisted with that, you know, and what what traditional thinkers will say, so you're saying you're God? (laughs) And it's like, yes and no. What I'm saying is that I'm the individualized manifestation of the infinite. There is a soul that is greater than this body that moves. Now, there's a distinction between soul and personality. Personality lives for me in the realm of this three-dimensional world, and it has it has limitations. And when I orient myself to the finite, I move through the world feeling my limitations all the time. Yeah. But when I orient myself to this infinite presence that's everywhere, it's a totally different thing. And I don't know, to me... The, the two best synonyms for God are grace and life. Like the mystical mystery of life. Yes. Um, the rabbis talk about Ruach Elohim, right? Yeah. So breath, wind, spirit, Ruach Elohim, just the name for God. And, um, and that's what I hear in what you're saying, that there is this indispensable, indescribable Ruach mm-hmm. that, yeah. and you're right. If it's moving through me, it's moving through you and everybody mm-hmm. else animating mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. But I love what you like, and we can live from that beautiful reality moment by moment, breath by breath, or we can play the game of, you know, uh, that we have to create the, the, the breath. And, and mm-hmm. that's, I think, where we get lost, right? That that we have to create our essence. We have to bolster our essence to the world. We have to fix what's broken in our essence, um, right? That's so good. Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, yeah, I, I, what I'm hearing is like some of what you're saying sounds like a lot of work. Like, yeah, for me, it's like, could I just allow yes. the presence to move me? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, for me, when, you know, when you talk about the great I am statements of the master teacher, Jesus, I, for me, I'm, I'm a metaphysician, which means that I'm interested in looking beyond the physical, you know, that's, that's literally the definition of metaphysician to look beyond the physical realm. And, you know, it's like, he was, for me, he was talking about the I am presence. He wasn't talking about me, the personality Jesus. Yeah. He was talking about there is a presence, you know, that is, that is moving and breathing me. And I have united with that presence. And if I can do that, then imagine what you could do. Yes. You know, um, so. Are you familiar with Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr? Yes, I love that yeah. man. Oh, me too. So he's writing a book right now that basically um, differentiates Jesus, the human, from the Christ. Mm -hmm. And the Christ, which which has always existed, which is mm -hmm. which animated Jesus, which mm -hmm. uh, which is what you're just talking about, right? Um, and that Richard Rohr says, you know, the resurrection, I mean, he believes in the physical resurrection, but he says that is merely the, the, that is meant to be the model of what is possible for all of us. Right. So that we would, we can all be, yes. and, 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 and not by some weird, you know, magic trick in the sky that you, you know, some handshake that you agree to make with God, where you have to believe 17,000 things the right way. Exactly but as a form of gift and grace, right? And mm -hmm. life, that this is how it works now, <laughs> you know? Um, and I love what he, I just love that. Now that's that's gonna make certain people nervous and scared and emotional, yeah. well, what do you mean, what do you mean? And like, okay, I talk to Richard, you know, talk to Father yeah. Richard, but. Um, There's a great book, um, you know, a, a, a colleague of Richard, a guy named Matthew Fox, and he wrote a book called Original Blessing. Yeah. He's a former Dominican priest that now, you know, basically the the um, Dominicans kicked him out because he was so radical and <laughs> he's now an Episcopalian priest. Um, but man, this book, Original Blessing, it completely shifts the paradigm uh, from like it, it. He actually talks about how what the genesis of original sin was in terms mm -hmm. of like you know, historical political yep. movements and that it was really, it was really a move to be able to suppress people and to oppress people. And when you could, when you actually start to look at the deep lineage of spirituality, like there's nothing to support it. it it's like you are a, an original blessing. And that goes back to this idea is of like, do I relate to myself as broken or do I relate to myself as whole? I believe that I was born, I was birthed. I mean, how could that not be? Anybody <laughs> who has had a baby, that's like the purity of presence, it's right there. Yeah. And then we get birthed into this world and all kinds of things start to happen that put layers of craziness on top of perfection. And then we spend the, the rest of our adulthood peeling back those layers 
to return to our original presence of perfection. Yeah. And, and people say, well, why would that happen? Like, why? I don't get it. What's the point? I don't know the answer to that. That is the great mystery of life. I don't need to know the answer to that. What I know is that all of life, every encounter I have is a divine appointment and it is for me. Yes. Nothing is happening against me. This universe is benevolent. And if that is the case, which I personally feel like I've proven over and over again. I mean, I have, you know, raised two kids on welfare. I've had multiple orders of protection against their father. You know, crazy things. I mean, yeah. crazy, crazy things. And then I do my practice of forgiveness. And I don't mean like, oh, I forgive you. I mean like deep transformational practices of forgiveness. And I am now married for 10 years and my older children's father, who I had multiple orders of protection against, very violent relationship, has lived with my husband and I twice. What? And I'm like, there is nothing, no thing that has ever happened in your life that cannot be transformed by the grace of God, spirit, this divine and holy, call it whatever you want. But grace can move mountains if we avail ourselves to that. And, you know, and so it's like, I, I probably not dissimilar from you. I get frustrated by the limited limitations and constraints that people place upon themselves when things like the Affordable Care Act, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, don't get distracted by that. And I'm not saying that that that, that we shouldn't be a stand for access to healthcare for all human beings. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make movements that are just and fair, absolutely. But I'm saying if you start to orient yourself in such a way that you believe the Affordable Care Act is the source of your good, forget it. Yeah, or any other thing like that, right? right? That's right. A political right. candidate, a pastor, right. a way of thinking, a relationship, right. a promotion, selling a million books. I mean, That's any, right. any, anything like that, right? That's right. Um, you will always find yourself disappointed on the other yes, side. Yes. It will and, never live up to your expectations. And that I feel like is just universally proven every day if anyone is honest about, you know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was I was doing this thing. I'm kind of addicted lately to to Twitter. I, it's awful, Lola. But <laughs> so I and like I can't. You know, it's like oh my gosh. And then so I think I did a little bit of what you were talking about, like staring it right in the face. It's okay. What are, what am I looking for from you? You know. And I realized I was looking for validation after validation after validation after validation. And. I I started to 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 I started to realize like and Twitter's a great thing. Twitter's awesome. Twitter's fun. It's how I met you. It's great. You know, it's like yes. But as a source of validation, it will I will be worse off after yes. being on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even if I get a hundred likes or retweets or whatever, because yeah. then I need a hundred and one. And it's That's just such right. an old, sorry, sad, pathetic trope. Yes. Um but can we wake up and see it like 
why don't I call my friend Kyle, who's a great validator and he's not going to be the perfect one but if i just said kyle hey i'm 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 scrounging on twitter for scraps you know could you tell me that you love me you know <laughs> like yes. like you're you're a real person that really knows me could 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 you could you just tell me that you love right i mean why why yeah why? well i think that you know it's interesting i think the power you know you look at someone like brene brown and yeah. it's like why is she blown up well yeah. because people are profoundly hungry for authenticity and transparency because we live in a day and age where everything looks shiny and perfect. And so here we are all sitting in now our single family homes or whatever, when once we had like multi-generational housing, yeah. you know, and it, it's like, we've lost our way a little bit around what's real and true. Yeah. And, uh, I think she's a perfect example of like, people are like, Oh, thank God. You I mean know. you're perfect? Oh, I couldn't tell. I thought you were <laughs> like, no, I'm not kidding. I was on the treadmill scrolling through TED Talks. Oh, what show? This was years ago when her first blow up TED Talk came out. Yeah. I watched it and then I was done running, but I watched it four times in a row. I mean, I yeah. got off the trail and I sat on the couch. I literally, Lola, I watched it four times in a row because yeah. I couldn't. And she didn't say anything that others haven't said or that we've all haven't thought. She didn't mm -hmm. say anything earth shatteringly unique. Yeah. But she put her finger on the I think um, um, the 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 game of shame that we just yeah. keep insisting on playing. Yeah, the, I saw yeah, I saw her speak about a year ago in Chicago, and she was talking about when that first TED Talk blew up, yeah. and it was literally like, I mean, it was like out of nowhere. You yeah. know, some 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 personalities are very crafted, and you know, it's like you know how that's gonna go. Yeah. But hers really did seem pretty organic. And she said she was sitting there in her in her home and she started reading the comments that started to come through on the TED Talk. And yeah. a comment came through. It was something like, who's this fat lady who's just, you know, it was like super yeah. critical. And, you know, prior to that, there had been like, hundreds of, of, of affirming comments beginning to just rack up and she became fixated on this real uh, sort of assassination of her character. Yeah. And it was a big wake up call for her. You know, her husband was like, honey, stop reading that. Yeah. But what is that in us that will fixate on the negative assessment or judgment rather than relaxing into the many affirmations that we oftentimes hear quite frequently. I know. You know, I, I did hear, I think it was Richard Rohr, he was quoting some scientific study that um, that negative comments are like Velcro, that they, mm -hmm. they don't take any, 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 any trying. I don't know why that is, but we, they tend to attach onto us. Whereas positive comments, you, he, 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 I don't know what he quoted, some scientific study, but you literally have to linger on it for at least 15 seconds each mm. positive comment for it to attach. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, what's that? <laughs> I, mean, I think that's probably like straight neurology. You yeah. know, it's a reptilian part of the brain that's spent, you know, thousands of years in survival strategies. 
and any possible threat it's ready to kill off. Yeah. It's just fascinating. You know what? Yes, yes, that probably is what it is. Okay, um, I have a sense that we could talk for hours. I think that's true. Uh, I'm going to keep asking some questions. Um, So I know that, you know, you talked about growing up Catholic. And then there was a time in your life where you left the Christian Catholic tradition. Why did you leave Christianity uh, or, you know, Catholicism's Christianity? Um, Number one, why did you leave? And then Mm -hmm. follow up question, what do you like about Christianity? And then follow up question to that, if you can remember, you know, 17 minutes into this uh, question, what don't, (laughs) what doesn't work for you about Christianity? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was raised Catholic and my grandparents, both set, sets of grandparents were devout Catholics. Um, you know, my parent, I grew up in the Northern suburbs of Chicago in a very affluent community. And, uh, my mom left my dad for a woman when I was 13. And in 1992, that was super scandalous. Right. And, uh, so I, I was very clear that that was not okay in the environment that I was raised in. My best friend could no longer sleep at my house, et cetera, et cetera. But prior to that, my um, my mom's the oldest of nine kids, and her brother was gay and died of AIDS in 1988. And I basically, we basically, I mean, I laid in bed with him as he was making his transition. And... Um, my grandmother really went toe to toe with the church because she got a lot of pushback around how her, her son was bad and wrong. And my grandmother, while she was Catholic, more than Catholic, she was a devout follower of the work of Jesus. And she just, it was unfathomable to her that the church would be, uh, ridiculing the being that is her son she just thought that is completely antithetical to this guy that I've devoted my life to that we call Jesus. That's supposed to be the central figure in this whole tradition. And so I was young when that conversation started to emerge. So by the time my mom left my dad for a woman, it was like there, this is not right. Like this is not right. Um, and then I got really into uh, hip hop music in 1993. The first A Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. Not the first, it wasn't the first Tribe Called Quest album, but it was the first one that rocked my world. It was an album called Midnight Marauders. And um, all of a sudden, I went in. I went down a rabbit hole in hip hop, and I started getting exposed to history in this country that was never taught to me in my school setting. And I started reading books like The Miseducation of a Black Man, The Autobiography of Asada Shakur, like really radical books. And I was like, holy smokes, there is a whole world that I know nothing about. And I I was like a voracious learner. Now, we had, I was raised at, um, and we grew up going to this country club and it occurred to me that it was, my my environment was all white and the country club was all white and Michael Jordan would golf there with regularity. And somehow I found out through conversation with my parents that in fact, while Michael Jordan loved golfing there, he actually wasn't allowed to belong there. And I could not believe that he would be willing to golf there if he wasn't invited to be a member. Like that was so crazy to me. So that was just sort of like, those were some of the early things that went on in me. And I really looked at, I I became a 
an incredible student of the history of the Christian movement and much of the devastation that has been done in the name of Christianity and specifically in the black community, yeah. um, which is ironic because it also has become, you know, I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on that, but it's ironic because, you know, the black community is also very dedicated to the church in right. many, many ways. But it's a very, if you really look at the history, it's very, I mean, you know, in, in, in you know, in the in slave days, the church was basically an acceptable place of refuge. So it was a safe space where slaves could gather without being scrutinized. And so, you know, just sort of digging through all that history and and then going to college and 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 you know, hip hop has a lot of ties with the Muslim, you know, black Muslim movement. So I got really interested in that. Um, it just was clear to me that I can't be a part of, in this case, the Catholic Church that says women can't be in, in significant levels of leadership. Uh, my mom is bad and wrong. And um, if you haven't heard of this guy, Jesus, too bad for you, you're probably going to hell. I'm like, none of that makes sense to me. Yeah. Like, it just, I couldn't figure that out. So for me, it was like, I can't be here because this is not in alignment with, um, with my truth. Right. You know? Right. So, um, you, you, and even in this conversation is so, so be, I mean, there are so many, uh, things that it seems like you resonate with Christianity still. And there's other things that don't work for you. I think you just mentioned some of the things certainly that don't work. Um, yeah. anything else you want to add to that? Well, you know, there's a great Christian mystic named Howard Thurman, who, um, base, who's a American black man, and he basically ended up, if, if you know, there's he wrote a great book called Jesus and the Disinherited. I mean, he's just he's just this incredible, um, incredible human being. But he ended up, I, I think, he ended up basically leaving the Christian tradition because he thought that the tradition itself had gone such a so askew from the work and the model and the example of Jesus. And so, the way that I experience my, you know, the way I relate to myself is that I am a student of Jesus yeah. and I do not qualify myself as Christian. Yeah. Um, and so I see myself as a spiritual being in a spiritual universe in a current experience that's human. Yeah. Um, but if I, if I begin to relate more to my humanity than my spirituality, I, I get sort of twisted. Um, and so you know, my, my current critique of, of, you know, traditional Christianity is I lead a community that attracts people of all faith traditions. Yeah. And, um, I teach lots of classes and I oftentimes feel like I am rehabilitating people from, um, religious trauma <sighs> where, they're, they have been told for decades that who they are is not okay. Yeah. And I literally am, am facilitating work that's counteracting that decades of programming. Yep. And so my, my big gripe, you know, it's funny, um, Otis Moss III is the senior minister at Trinity United Church of Christ, one of you know, the biggest churches in Chicago. And he put an article on Facebook last night that was written by Kendrick Lamar, who's yeah. you know, 
a very hot hip hop artist right now. And Kendrick Lamar basically wrote a critique of the Christian church, which I completely disagree with this critique, but it was, it was basically like the Christian church would do, and not, I don't completely disagree with, but he said the Christian church sells this message of hope when really it would do greater service to people to instill the fear of God such that people may know God is just and jealous. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> number one, there is nothing in me that resonates with the notion that God is jealous. That is to put a, an anthropomorphic, a human idea of God into this equation, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. God is jealous? No, you are jealous. <laughs> Your human flesh, you experience, the, you experience jealousy. God is infinite. God is the presence of love. Um, and, and then I've never understood the fear of God. Yeah. I've never understood that. It just, I just don't get that paradigm. Now, what I believe to be true is I believe there are universal principles that govern our existence and that there are things called the law of cause and effect. And, you know, we could go into a hole, we could go down a big rabbit hole on that. But, um, I don't appreciate this old paradigm of Christianity that sells God as a human with an anger management problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's, so here's what I see. Um, there's this atonement theory, substitutionary penal, substitutionary atonement theory, which um, of course you can read. I mean, you can read where it comes from, but it essentially paints God out to be the angry, abusive dad. Yep. But thank Thank whoever for Jesus, because Jesus steps in and makes dad okay. Dad is dad. You're kind of crazy. I'm I'm cool. I'm 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 gonna step in and get beaten, um, so that you don't have to. And we don't stop and go like that is really messed up theology. <laughs> like, oh why would we commit our lives to the abusive dad in the first place, yeah. who couldn't come up with? Of of all the infinite creative possibilities that we ascribe that that God is able to do, the yeah. one thing that that God could come up with was to beat the crap out of his son because he wanted to beat the crap out of us. But, you know, and he that it would please him no greater uh, to no greater end than to beat the crap out of us. But yeah. because Jesus is so good, he stepped in. And what... What kills me, and I am a Christian, I'm a Christian pastor, but mm -hmm. what kills me is that we're not stepping in and going like, people don't go, oh, wait, now that doesn't quite match up with, with, with everything else we're saying about God. That is, there's nothing can, that can separate you from God's love. There is, you know, so, so, so in my denomination, yeah. which has lots of imperfections, but there's a hero uh, named P.P. Waldenstrom, P.P. Waldenstrom. And he came in and said, that theory of atonement is nowhere to be found in the scriptures, actually. Like, yeah. God never stopped loving us. God never stopped. Um, God didn't move. God, God did not need to be wrathful toward us. Yes, I loved how you said it. We were born in wholeness. All kinds of crazy got put on top of us. And now we're, I mean, that's a much bit. And so in my mind, Jesus... Um, through the resurrection allows us to step into wholeness again. 
Um, yeah. And through some mysterious, I mean, what happened on the cross? S- some mysterious thing. I don't know. Like, like yeah. what? Sorry, I'm totally ranting now on your podcast. No, I love it. I love it. Um, but w- why? Why wouldn't we say um, that? Or, or why would we say we know exactly what happened on that cross? We 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 know exactly. We can prove it. We can. And you have to believe these exact five things. Versus, gosh, it's a mystery. Um, I don't, you know, there's lots of theories here. What I know is that God is grace and God is life. And that in some mysterious way, Jesus sort of shows a picture of who God is in the way that he lived. But there's this animating force, the Christ, that, you know what I mean? Like, that's just so much better to me. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think that, like, really the whole the whole point of the crucifixion was to indicate that like you are not these limitations that you think you are an immortal eternal spirit and this body is not the is not the end all be all there your life will extend beyond the laying down of this body yeah. you know my mom is um has dedicated her life to hospice and she's raised like $60 million for the largest Illinois hospice Whoa. organization. Yeah, she's just amazing. And uh, she talks all the time about how um, adolescent our understanding of death is, you know, and, and how we really have done ourselves such a disservice by not exposing our kids to the process of dying you know, as I said earlier, we used to live in these multi-generational housing situations. And so you would see the full cycle of life. But now that we're living such isolated existence, uh, we don't see those things. Many people get to the point where perhaps their parents are dying or their partner has been diagnosed and dying, and they've never witnessed the transition of the body. And, um, you know, you, you can talk to many people who've witnessed death and, and, and they'll oftentimes say, I knew it was like, I could tell the presence of them was in the body. Mm. And then it was like, the body was no longer even recognizable because it was clear they weren't in it anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, like, that's the great example of Jesus is like, this don't do not look at the ways of the world. They are they are inherently limited. Yes. Partner up with a presence that is greater than that which meets the eye and trust in that. Yeah. And all things will be added unto you. Mm. 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 Hey, so um, I we need to wrap up. I'm looking at the time. OK, and, cool. Um, but you lead the Bodhi Spiritual Center. Uh, mm-hmm. and can you tell us like when, so if you live in Chicago, wh- where, where is that? When do y'all yeah. meet for services? Yeah. So we gather every Sunday morning at 10 AM central standard time in Chicago's West town neighborhood, 10, 12 North Noble. We, it's about an hour and 15 minute service, ridiculous music. I mean, all, best music in the city, our band, all of whom are members of the community, you know, play with Stevie Wonder, yeah. India Re. I mean, it's just insane. It's a great, inspiring message and a, and a really warm community. Wow. Well, I am, I'm going to be in Chicago a couple of times uh, here in the early summer for cool. a couple of different things. And so I'm going to try to come. I mean, oh, I, yeah. can I come and just chill? Please. Um, I would love that. I would love that. So, um, okay. And you, did you found this center? 
Lola? It was founded 14 years ago by my mentor, uh, one of my mentors, Mark Anthony Lord. That is actually his given name. And, wow, uh, that's a killer name. Mark yeah, right. Anthony Lord. Yeah. And I left my corporate career at Bank of America in July of 2012, became our director of youth and family, and then moved into the executive director role, was in ministerial school. He left in 2014, and I moved into the role of spiritual director. Reverend Lola. You got it. Is that what they call you? Rev, Rev Lola? Rev Low. Rev Low. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, gosh. Um, I Was there anything that, that you wished I would have asked you that I didn't? No, I, I just am grateful for the opportunity to be together. And, you know, my, my, always my parting thought is what I've already said. There is nothing wrong with you. You yeah. are whole. You are holy. You are perfect. There is a power and presence for good. It can move and breathe and have its way in you and lay down the false ideas of mm. your broken, wounded, limited self. It's not the truth of who you are. Amen. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, um, Lola, stick around for a second when we say goodbye, because then I'll I'll want to you know thank you um, off off the air. Um, <laughs> But I say this thing, this little mantra um, at the end of the podcast, this good word, and it's, we are dust and breath, we are yeah. limited and limitless, we are human and holy, and we're in it together. Yeah. And my sense is that we're just on the same path, right? I mean, we are on the same path. So um, I am delighted to have had you on the podcast. This was so fun for me. Uh, so energizing. I'm like buzzing right now. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Weens and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com.